Welcome to Iron Radio. Coming up, Trevor Hoffbauer earns a trip to the Olympics. It was that last seven kilometers there that uh, I knew I was going to make it happen because that's the last seven kilometers of the race. It's really just how much guts do you have, how much heart do you have, how much do you want it. And I really, really wanted it. So uh, I knew that no matter if I got a stomach stitch or if my calf cramped up, I was going to crawl to the finish line. But uh, I, I would have made it no matter what. Dana Pitoreski is also on her way to Tokyo. It feels validating. And I mean, it's something I never thought I would be aiming towards when I was younger or even in university or anything like that. And um, I mean, maybe it sounds bad, but I it like means a lot because I feel like it means a lot to a lot of other people. Um, like it's an important thing if you're looking for sponsors or it, it's like what people care about if they look at your race resume. Um, that said, like it's a great position to be in because it opens a lot of doors for me. Um, just easier to get into races and compete internationally and um, hopefully is like a a little bit more lucrative. Uh, so, yeah, it's yeah. a great opportunity. <laughs> and Reed Coolset keeps up his quest to get back to the games. Just to re- you know, represent Canada at the uh, at the Olympics is, is an honor, and it's it's you know that's, it's nothing that you know people take lightly. Um, you know, you pour you know everything into it. You train really hard, and you know you give it everything you can on that day. Um, the event itself is really cool, just because I've, you know almost everyone is you know wants to run that marathon and it's a very it's a very deep and competitive marathon on this edition of i run radio the stories of three elite canadian runners from 2019 as we turn the calendar and enter an olympic year let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of i run ben kaplan hello ben hey there how are you this week ready for the holidays Happy holidays! Yeah. Yes, sir. Very good. Yeah. Do you get out and run during this time uh, like any other day of the year? Is it is it harder to, to get out and run because the kids are home from school? I know normally you, you work from home, so you have a little more flexibility during the day, right? Well, I, you know, it's more important for me to get out and run now um, than during normal <laughs> times because I'm not exactly doing it for my uh, physical fitness as much as I'm doing it for my mental. I like a break. Right. Um, yeah, it's an escape. Sure. So I, I, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I've got to go on a really, really, really long run, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the escape valve. I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you come back, you know, and there's all this, you know, there's so much food and there's so much sitting around and everything, which is great. You know, I could use a time off like the rest of us. But, uh, you know, I feel like I appreciate all of that stuff more when I've had a little chance to exercise first. Of course. Have you yeah. been dipping into the food already? Because I have. We've been to a couple of Christmas Uh-oh. parties already. Yeah. My wife loves baking, which means there's always cookies around, and there's always, you know, the bowl to lick and <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. No, I mean, and it's good, too. It's good to enjoy. It's good to, you know, sure. uh, ratchet down the intensity for the holidays. But, but I also think it's, you know, important for me to maintain, and I do enjoy getting out there, especially when I see and everybody's like, oh, you're going out running in this, and da-da-da-da-da, and it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I feel really good, like I have no, I never equivocate, like I'm definitely going. Yeah, 
Well, it's been a very good year, hasn't it? We, we have yes, a lot sir. to be proud of this year yes, as sir. runners, all of us. Uh, yeah. You know, so many great races, so many great runs. You know, for me, it's always about just the sum total of everything. You think about all the times you made that decision to go out the door and do the run or get on the treadmill or whatever. Do if you're if you're into some other form of exercise, doing the workout. Every time you make that decision, it's a little victory. And so I think you should look back on the year and and relish that and and pat yourself on the back. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, here's to more and bigger. And I don't know about faster. You know what my goal really is? My my personal best, what I want to achieve is I just want to enjoy the whole thing even more. How do you get, how are you going to do that? You already enjoy it a lot. <laughs> well, you know, you got to set the bar high. Yeah. You got to set that. But I look at my race photos uh, of the year and I really am. I'm grinning Ear to ear. I mean, I really enjoyed myself out there this year. You know, when I ran fine times, I did good. You know, it's, 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 yeah. uh, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. And here's to more of that in 2020. Yeah, and 2020 is an Olympic year. I mentioned already we're going to have on the show today uh, some of the people who will be running for Canada at the Olympics: Trevor Hoffbauer, Dana Pitoreski. Uh, Reed Coolset, who's run for Canada at the Olympics on two different occasions. So we'll have that to look forward to next year as well. Watching the Olympic marathon. Awesome. Awesome. And all of those people, I mean, they couldn't be nicer, more generous people that are from the communities and that still stay out in the communities. And I've seen all of them on the side of races cheering for other runners. And, you know, it's just, uh, I just say mazel to all of them and uh, we wish everybody luck. Yeah. And and sometimes when they're cheering for other runners uh, like me, they've already been back to their hotel and showered after completing <laughs> their marathon and then they've come back to the start line. Or the yeah. finish line, yeah. If you don't mind, I'd like to interject that we just put out an issue, so I would implore folks that haven't seen it yet to make sure they check their email, to make sure they check IROD, to make sure they check both you and I on Twitter and Facebook and wherever, and to check out this new issue with Dana Pitoreski on the cover, and you can hear all of the other runners talk about her, and we've got this great six-page gift guide. It's got gifts if anybody still needs stuff or, you know, wants to return the stuff that they got. (laughs) You know, so I would just implore, we put a lot of work into this and we just, we make it for you and we want you to see it and enjoy it and share it. So I just, if you haven't seen it yet, everybody, please check it out. We're really proud of the new issue. We're really proud of Dana. Right on. Good stuff, Ben. Happy holidays to you and your family. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, my friend. Ben Kaplan, iRun's editor and general manager, Coming up next, Trevor Hoffbauer books his ticket to the Olympics. This winter, participate in the biggest winter multi-sport event in the world, solo or in a team relay. Complete on a continuous basis the five disciplines of the pentathlon. Cycling, running, Nordic skiing, skating, and snowshoeing. Choose between 17 different challenges. There's one for you. The Pentathlon de Neige of Quebec Presented by MEC from February 22nd to March 1st on the Plains of Abraham in Quebec City. Be part of it. In October, at the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon, Trevor Hoffbauer finished as the top Canadian with a time of 2 hours, 9 minutes, 51 seconds. A big improvement over his previous personal best time. And also... A time that put him well under the Olympic qualifying standard, meaning he will represent Canada at the Olympics next year in Japan. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us uh, on iRun Radio. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Mark. 
So, look, you didn't just qualify for the Olympics. You destroyed your personal best in the marathon, didn't you? This was uh, everything came together for you in this race. Yeah, I had a really, really strong race. Um, I'm quite pleased with it, and I've had a little bit of time to dissect uh, the whole performance now, and it's starting to become a reality. So um, I put a lot of work, and um, I I really banked on this moment to try and make it happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm just pleased that it it went to plan. Yeah, because with marathons, you can't count on that, right? Exactly. And even the thought that I had throughout the race was, oh, is the next kilometer going to be the kilometer where, like, where it hits you? <laughs> and, like, you don't even know. Like, kilometer 40, um, yeah. your body could completely change and uh, things can uh, deteriorate quickly. But, um, yeah, thankfully it didn't. Yeah, good for you. That's very exciting. So uh, let's talk about that a little more, actually, because that is one of the things about a marathon is you just don't know what you're going to get. There are variables you can control, but lots that you can't. And you can be feeling great at 30K, at 35K, even at 40K, as you say, and then the wheels can come off, right? Yeah, yeah. And in in my race particularly, I was battling uh, some tightness in, uh, in my calf area and ankle, and uh, that started to flare up just around 25 kilometers and... Uh, it got progressively worse, but after 35 kilometers, the pain, uh, it, it kind of stayed at the same level, so it didn't get worse, thankfully. But, uh, yeah, you never know. Like, your your stomach could turn on you, or uh, you, could hit that per, uh, you could hit that wall that people talk about, uh, or, like, maybe maybe a calf gets too strained, hamstring. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's such a gamble. You yeah. just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Something starts to tighten up, and of course, you're you're right on the edge, right? So this is not, you know, if you're trying to qualify for the Olympics and 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 set a personal best and and get under two hours and ten minutes, there's not a lot of margin of error where you're saying, you know, this isn't like, uh, you know, driving from from Montreal to Toronto and leaving an hour early and giving yourself lots of time. Everything everything's got to go right, and and you're you're right at the at the line between. Uh, just right and overdoing it, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And to generalize it a little bit more, um, I think one unique thing that we all share is like when you are shooting for a PB, um, no matter what your PB is, you are always riding that fine line. And you can uh, relate it to like making an Olympic team or like getting a Boston qualifier and stuff like that um, or like an age group record. But uh, yeah, if you're shooting for a personal best, you're like really riding this fine line where uh, you have to strategically play it out and make sure that you're being smart about it. Yeah, and I know you wrote uh, quite a bit on your website about the experience, and and I I think since the race you've been reflecting back on the journey to get you to this point. Tell us a little bit about that, about uh, about the months leading up to this marathon. Yeah, yeah, the training went really well. Um, I've been reading a little bit online too uh, about how people say that my times over the training block really don't match uh, what I did over, uh, over the weekend in Toronto. Um, But to provide some context there is, or some context there, I never taper for any races that I do in my build. So when I take a look at the Edmonton half marathon, um, I was coming off of a, 
160-kilometer week, um, and I had traveled on the Friday night from Kalamazoo, or from uh, Glen Arbor, Michigan, to Calgary, Alberta. And then the next morning, I drove up to Edmonton. So I had about 12 hours of travel, um, maybe not 12, uh, eight hours of travel under my belt uh, within a 12-hour time period. And uh, I performed well in the race, but the race was a workout. And then I took a look at Eastside 10K, and uh, I was in the middle of a 180-kilometer week. So um, those race results don't look that fast, um, but I don't go into those races rested. I use them as workouts, and uh, I just kind of go at it. So uh, considering that and considering all the workouts I did and uh, the consistency of mileage and remaining healthy, uh, that's ultimately like just adding all those pieces together um, played out well for me on race day. Yeah. So uh, it, it, we talked already about the fact that at 40K, you still don't know really if you're if something's going to come apart. At what point did you start feeling like, you know what, this is, this is actually going to happen. I'm going to get the time I want, big personal best, and also meet the Olympic qualifying standard. Uh, when, when did that moment arrive for you? Yeah, um, that moment actually arrived at 35 kilometers. So I know that's a little bit earlier than 40 kilometers, and uh, you still have those thoughts running in your head until about that point. But uh, after our pacers went off on the side of the road, uh, I was all by myself. And if people had watched the broadcast, they would have seen uh, me and a group of four athletes, and then it would have cut back to a couple of the other races happening. Uh, and then it bounced back to me, and then the next time it did bounce back to me, it was like just me all by myself. So um, the one Mexican athlete that I was with, he fell back, and then the two pacers uh, walked off the course at 35 kilometers, and then it was just me and I trained on my own in Calgary, so I'm very comfortable running on my own. And I knew that I just had to get to the CN Towers. So um, I just really hunkered down and uh, ran my hardest over those last seven kilometers. And, uh, yeah, it was it was that last seven kilometers there that uh, I knew I was going to make it happen because that's the last seven kilometers of the race. It's really just how much guts do you have, how much heart do you have, how much do you want it, and... I really, really wanted it. So uh, I knew that no matter if I got a stomach stitch or if my calf cramped up, I was going to crawl to the finish line. But uh, I would have made it no matter what. Wow, that's so powerful. So how did you feel during that time? Uh, Because here here was your your goal being achieved at last. Yeah, I was was shocked um, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I came around the corner to the finish line there and, uh, I just took a look up at the clock and I saw two and nine and change. And, um, it just really hit me in that moment. Like I, I've drew, I've dreamt of that moment, um, or dreamed of that moment for years and, uh, for it to become a reality, it just hit me all at once. And, I really didn't know how to express myself. So when I crossed that finish line, I just I was tired. So I dropped down to the ground and Alan Brooks was there. And I just had to, I had to take it back and just look at that clock and just like really soak that in. Um, and yeah, it was, it was such a powerful moment and for something to come together that you've worked so hard yeah. for over like six, seven years. Um, yeah. Words can't, can't be said about um 
how how impactful it had or how impactful it was uh, in that moment. And I notice, uh, and I, I think other people have talked about this as well. You don't wear a watch when you're racing, right? Unlike so many other runners. Yeah, no, I really don't enjoy wearing a watch. Um, so when I take a look back at Hamburg. Um, when I did that race in the spring, I didn't wear a watch there, and uh, I had a negative split in that race. I think I ran like 15 seconds faster over the second half than I did on the first half, and then um, same with the Sun Run. Didn't wear a watch there. Um, when I took a look through, same with uh, Edmonton. Or actually, for Edmonton half, I did because it was a workout, uh, and then Eastside 10K as well. Um, I don't think I wore one for Eastside 10K, but it, it depends on the race. And when I am going to a race where I've trained specifically for that event, I won't wear a watch because I'm going out there to race, like the purpose is to win. So, um, yeah, you, you can't really time a win. You just have to beat every competitor that is on the start line with you. Interesting. So uh, what does it mean to you that you are now going to the Olympics next year in Tokyo? It's the world to me. Um, yeah, before going into this race, I had some really powerful moments where I was reflecting on the past five, six years, and I'm extremely proud of what I've done uh, with my running career so far. And um, I, I never thought that some of the results I've had in the past were ever going to be possible, but uh, it came together well. And I was, yeah, when I was reflecting on the last five years, I was just really, really proud of what I've done. And I was at a point in my life where I was thinking this might be the last race. Like I might move on from the sport after this because um, all I've shot for is the Olympics, and I've put a lot of uh, a lot of my savings into that race as well. And um, as you know, with money, you just <laughs> you, you can't spend, spend, spend without making uh, that back. So I was at a point in my life where I was taking a look at everything and. Um, my finances were getting to a point where I had to consider what was going to be next. And if Toronto didn't play out as I had hoped, then, um, yeah, we might not even be talking right now. Wow. So um, There was a lot yeah. at stake there. Wow. There was. Yeah, yeah, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And uh, now with Toronto going the way that it had, um, yeah, I can take a look honestly at the next year and the next even five years and say, yeah, this is, like, after Toronto, that was the first day of my career. So uh, I can wow. continue to do this for uh, the foreseeable future, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to continuing on with this. Well, congratulations, Trevor. This is really exciting, and, and all Canadians, especially runners, are looking forward to seeing you represent us at the Olympics next year. Thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations again. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for your time. That's Trevor Hoffbauer who will be running in the Olympic Marathon next year in Tokyo. Coming up next, Dana Pitoreski's journey to the Tokyo Olympics. This winter, participate in the biggest winter multi-sport event in the world, solo or in a team relay. Complete on a continuous basis the five disciplines of the pentathlon. Cycling, running, Nordic skiing, skating, and snowshoeing. Choose between 17 different challenges. There's one for you. The Pentathlon des Neiges of Quebec, presented by MEC from February 22nd to March 1st on the Plains of Abraham in Quebec City. Be part of it.
Dana Pitoreski didn't just run the fastest marathon of her career in Toronto in October. She took more than six minutes off her previous best time. And she qualified to represent Canada in the Olympic marathon next year in Tokyo. Dana, thank you so much for joining us once again on I Run Radio. My pleasure. And congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, it still doesn't seem real, but <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about the race uh, that got you into the Olympics. Uh, just tell us how it went, how you were feeling, and uh, and uh, what it was like crossing the finish line, knowing that you'd uh, booked yourself a trip to the Olympics. Okay. Um, I mean, I... I was on the start line feeling pretty confident in my training. Um, it sort of all came together at the right time. Um, so that was nice to feel. Um, I felt uh, relaxed and fit and had a great night's sleep before the race, which doesn't always happen. Mm. Um, and, yeah, um, just sort of went out harder than we planned on it, but I was feeling really good and just sort of trusting that, you know, something special was going to happen um, instead of being frightened of the pace. <laughs> and I had a pacer and that was helpful. I just sort of relaxed behind him and tried to just continually think about um, being prepared to work hard the last um 10k or so so I always had that on my mind just to make sure that I wasn't um going out too hard like I kept thinking that I I wanted to finish um relatively hard um went through halfway about a minute faster than we had anticipated and you know I was still feeling like this was going to be a really good day um Kept going, still felt good, and in the last 10K, I was starting to feel a little bit tired, so my plan of trying to hammer it home um, didn't really happen, but I knew that I was well ahead of um, the pace that I would need to be running to run under the Olympic standard of 229.30, um, so I just kept thinking of being conservative and making sure I made it to the finish line. And, yeah, crossed the line and just couldn't believe what had happened. Um, yeah, it was an amazing moment, and yeah. I can't imagine something topping that. Yeah, good for you. Uh, so uh, you you ran a pretty aggressive race, right? I mean, this was... Uh, you were you took it out pretty fast in the first half of the race, so uh, you were uh, you were really setting the stage for one of two scenarios: either the one you had, or one where it all comes apart in the second half. And we've all been there in marathons. So uh, tell me a little bit about that, because you obviously were were very aggressive in this race. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the plan, and I didn't feel like I was being aggressive. It just all really came. So easily, it's definitely the the easiest uh, first half of a marathon has ever felt ever. Um, so I think that's sort of the key is just that felt really easy that day, and I didn't feel like I was ever straining or pushing. Um, it was really, I think, 
between five and 10 K that was a really fast segment. And I think it was like, I like downhills. I'm a pretty efficient downhill runner. So that might've been where things got away from me time-wise from like the prescribed pace that I had originally thought I was going to go for. So I don't know. It didn't feel aggressive, but I know on paper it definitely yeah. looks like that. Well, that's a good sign if it didn't feel aggressive. Uh, but you did take more than seven minutes off your personal best time, I think, right? Yeah. Um, I just feel like the marathon for me hasn't shown what I'm capable of the last, I mean, basically every attempt I've had prior to this race. So it looks like a huge jump, but my training for the last two years have really has really dictated that I could run significantly faster. So it's nice to finally run what I've been training for. Yeah. And that's the thing about the marathon, right? Is that unlike shorter yeah. distances, you can you can be in shape to produce a certain time, but it still doesn't happen because it's such a long race and there are so many variables beyond your control, right? Yeah, and when you only race two a year, it's really hard to get everything right on the day. Yeah, and you can't just go out the next weekend and do another one, right? I mean, unless you're Sarah Hall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. there are some people, I guess, who can for some reason, but very few, very few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what does it mean to you to be going to the Olympics? Um, I mean, it feels feels validating and I mean it's something I never thought I would be aiming towards when I was younger or even in university or anything like that and um I mean maybe it sounds bad but I it like means a lot because I feel like it means a lot to a lot of other people um, like it's an important thing if you're looking for sponsors or it, it's like what people care about if they look at your race resume. Um, that said, like it's a great position to be in because it opens a lot of doors for me. Um, just easier to get into races and compete internationally and um, hopefully is like a, a little bit more lucrative. Uh, so... Yeah, it's yeah. a great opportunity. <laughs> well, that's great, uh, and and it should be. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's like a really good career move, effectively, if you if you want to compare yeah. it to that. Yeah, and right. and we should underscore, uh, you know, how important that is because because you. Um, you know, spectators of the sport will will see you running in this race and they'll see you do well and then they'll see you compete in the Olympics and they don't see all the many months and years that you put in before that when uh, you have to juggle school and running or work and running and you've got to fit your training in around the rest of your life and make a living and, and figure out a way to get that balance where you're able to train but but you're able to sustain yourself as well. And those there are a lot of uh, difficult decisions and challenges that that elite athletes, elite runners in Canada face away from their training, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's hard to stay in a sport like this unless you have support um, just to be able to survive. Like, I'm really thankful that I I have a husband who fully supports and coaches me, and 
Um, without him, I don't think I would be able to stay in this sport for as long as I have because I just wouldn't be able to devote as much time to training and recovery. Yeah, that's so crucial. And uh, it wasn't so long ago that a lot of elite athletes in this country had to fit their training in around full-time jobs because there there wasn't enough sponsorship and financial support there for them, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, what happens now as you look ahead to next year and and you you sort of start to to uh, gear up for the Olympic marathon and, and time out the next uh, 10 months of your life, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think Josh was mentioning that our build for Tokyo would probably start in May at some point in time. And then until then, I'd really like to try to run a fast half. Um, it's a fun distance. You can run a couple of them and I really need a new half marathon PB, so I would love to get that sometime this year at least. Well, that, um, that's so a... I'll probably do Houston half marathon, and I'd love to make the world half marathon team if I can. I know it'll be tough because it's hard to find half marathons so early in the year and be able to run fast at the time, but that's sort of like a little goal that I have. Okay. And and you can focus on those kinds of things because you've you you know what you're doing next summer, right? Yeah, exactly. It really is the best position to be in, and I'm so happy because I before the race I was telling Josh that I just really didn't want to run a spring marathon. I just wanted to time things perfectly into the Olympics, and uh, yeah, it's great to be in that position. Yeah. So your next marathon will be at the Tokyo Olympics, basically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So t- tell me again what it meant for you to to finally have a race that went the way you wanted it to, to have that huge improvement over your previous personal best and to know you were going to the Olympics. When did that start to sink as, sink in for you? Take us kind of through the finish line and beyond as you as you processed all of that. Yeah, I think one of my first thoughts was Um, Like, I'm so happy that I was able to do this because I have such a team around me and they're so supportive. And my job on race day is to go out there and perform. So when things don't go well, I feel like I've just let everybody down because they're like, that's my one job during that day. And they've done so much work prior to the prior to the race. Um, So it's just like great to see to see Josh at the finish line and he was thrilled and that just made me so happy because I knew, know he's sacrificed so much um, in the last, I mean, we've been working together for like 10 years. So it's a great one. It all comes together and um, you know, it's just joyous for all those other people who have been supporting you. Yeah. Um, it's a team effort, isn't it? Yes, uh, I would not be in this position without my team, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, congratulations again, Dana. Well done. And I know all Canadians, especially runners, are looking forward to seeing you compete in the Olympics next year. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. That's Dana Pitoreski, who will be representing Canada in next year's Olympic marathon. Coming up next, elite athlete and Canadian Olympian, Reed Coolset. 
This winter, participate in the biggest winter multi-sport event in the world, solo or in a team relay. Complete on a continuous basis the five disciplines of the pentathlon. Cycling, running, Nordic skiing, skating, and snowshoeing. Choose between 17 different challenges. There's one for you. The Pentathlon des Neiges of Quebec, presented by MEC from February 22nd to March 1st on the Plains of Abraham in Quebec City. Be part of it. Reed Coolset has represented Canada at two Olympic Games. We talked with him a couple of months ago as he was getting ready for the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon. Reed, great to talk to you again. Thank you for being with us. Great. Thanks for having me again, Mark. So how is the running going these days as you head into the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon? They, yeah, running's been going really well. Um, I'm optimistic about the race just because I've had a lot of consistent training the uh, like the last three or four months have been really good. I uh, and I've raced a bit more than I than I normally do as well, and the, uh, the the races have gone well. And what are your goals for Toronto? I'd really like to be under two fourteen. I think if I did that, I would be really really happy. Um, and I want to compete well against the other Canadians. Um, and you know, if if at the end of the race um, I've I have a race that can, um, you know, help me get toward, like, get, get qualified for um, Tokyo. That would be the best thing. So, you know, being in the first two or three Canadians um, really helps with Olympic qualification because the uh, the bonus points that you'll get for placing well at the Canadian Championships, and then you know that on top of a decent time um, would uh, would be great. Now, it, it's interesting because unlike other events, you really have to plan carefully to qualify for an Olympic marathon and make sure that you pick your races well and that you do your best in those events because you can't run a marathon every weekend, right? Yeah, it really it really makes a big difference, um, you know, weather cooperates and, and whatnot. So, you know, picking a, a fast course, um, so Toronto, you know, fits the bill for that and um, uh, especially now with the world ranking system as a qualifier for the Olympics, it's important to pick a race where you could potentially get some points. You know, whether that's because Charles a gold label and you you know you finish high up and you get some gold label points, or you know even if the race internationally is very competitive and you know you still even though you maybe finish ninth or tenth overall, but you're still the first um, you know tour like second or third Canadian, um, you'll pick up those kind of points. So. That's obviously really important, and of course, weather is, um, you know, Toronto's can be cool, but, you know, you never can um, guarantee perfect weather. Yeah, and there's so many variables, right? So you have to be strategic and control whatever you can control, because there are always going to be things that uh, that are outside your control. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. So tell me about the Olympic experiences you've had now that some time has passed. And, and uh, when you look back on them now, what are some of the things that stand out to you, uh, having had that opportunity that so many people crave of representing Canada at the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, just to re- you know, represent Canada at the, uh, at the Olympics is, is an honor. And it's, it's, you know, that's, it's nothing that you know, people take lightly. Um, you know, you pour you know, everything into it. You train really hard and, you know, you give it everything you can on that day. Um, the event itself is really cool just because, I've, you know, almost everyone 
is you know wants to run that marathon and it's a very it's a very deep and competitive marathon so you know um, you know battling out for 40th spot 20th spot like whatever it is um, there's a lot of competitors around you um, and that that really makes makes for an, like a, a a really interesting race experience like it it's it's better than you know like a lot of times you find yourself alone at the end of the marathon um it doesn't really happen so much um at the olympics there's you know there's always someone um not too far ahead of you or or come up behind you so you you stay on it which is um just a really cool you know part about racing um you know strip away the fact that it's the olympics and this and that and it's just it's just a really good foot race which um it, it makes it really fun. Yeah, that's interesting because I watched you run the Ottawa Marathon in May, and uh, and we were doing the television coverage for that event, and you did end up spending a lot of time in that race running by yourself, right? Yeah, you know the the uh, the lead group wanted to try and run. I'm not sure what they're trying to run, something like 206, 207, um, and I was not. And then uh, the next group up the road wanted to run. You know, they were aiming for 210, and I was aiming for two fourteen ish, and um, yeah, by ten k, my pacemaker was gone, so I was just running alone. And that group looking to run two ten was, you know, a little bit up the road, and I could see them every once in a while, and I was really, um, you know, using them as like kind of a target. But by the time, I, I mean, I think I passed all of them. I did. I passed that that group, but by the time I passed them, they were running so slowly. Um, you know, and and some of them, you know, I dropped off. They were they were actually walking, so it wasn't like I got much help from them either. You know, it was more like a moving target, and then um, and no one no one caught up to me. Um, I think there was a you know a five minute gap behind me, and when I finished the the next guy the next guy from the lead pack, you know, maybe it faded to um, a few minutes ahead of me. So um, yeah, it's pretty much just uh, you know support of the crowd and. Yeah, um, that's about it. But it's a lonely thing, and you know it's funny because you think, look, you if you've trained for a certain capacity, you're able to run that pace. You should be able to do it, but uh, it is harder to run alone than to run with a group, isn't it? Yeah, I, I especially find that. I, I um, you know, if I'm running alone, I'm constantly like, you know looking at my watch and making sure that I'm on pace, and um, I'd much rather not look at my watch, and I'd rather just you know, um, you know, just, just compete and just look at, um, you know, focus on the competitors around me and, and try to beat as many as I can. And, you know, early on the stages work, work together and, you know, just keep that pace going. Um, for me, that's usually result, um, in my, my, like my fastest times have, have been run like that. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of Ottawa, I wanted to mention you sent out a tweet that I found fascinating just because I'm into numbers. Uh, you sent out a tweet after the race pointing out that at the time you'd run 14 marathons and and you have three sets of two marathons each that you ran in exactly the same time down to the second. Uh, so you've, you've twice uh, run a specific time. Uh, and you've done that three, there are three different times where you've got this matching pair of times in different races, right? Yeah, so I've run 210.55 twice, 211.24 twice, and 217.37 twice. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, the first time I ran, um, I had run 211.23, and then I ran 
And I thought that was weird that I was one second off of a time I'd run before. And then I ran 211.24 again. So then I thought, I was like, wow, like now I have three times within a second, you know, and two of them are the exact same time. And I thought that was something that I probably wouldn't do again. And then I went and ran 210.55 for the second time. So then I was like, yeah. And then when I ran 217.37 in the spring, um, I just remember thinking, I'm like, oh, it's really close to my Toronto time. I wonder which one was a bit, bit quicker. And then when I looked it up, I realized it was the exact same time again. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really weird because, you know, I only, you know, I have three times in the two elevens and they're all within a second. And I have three times in the two tens and two of them are exactly the same. Yeah. That's that the odds of that. I don't know what the odds of that are, but it's just, it's really freaky because you could, I mean, you can run basically the same race and end up two seconds slower or two seconds faster or whatever, right? There, anywhere along the yeah. course, you can lose a second. I think if I was trying to match my times, <laughs> I don't think I could have. I, yeah. I, I could I could do a good a job as I, I have matching my times. Um, By accident. You know, not, not, yeah. Yeah, and, of course, um, you know, all the, all the times I ran, you know, 211, like I knew my two eleven twenty three, and in the next few times, like I, you know, I really wanted to run faster than that. And same with the two ten fifty five. So I was actually, I wasn't trying to run the same time. I was trying to run, you know, uh, you know, trying to trying to beat those times. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you, Reed, uh, your reaction to the fact that Eliud Kipchoge has broken two hours in the marathon. Now, of course, not in a in a marathon race, uh, but in a, in a special event that was created to give him that opportunity. Uh, but nevertheless, this is this barrier that everybody wondered would it ever be broken? It's kind of like the marathon equivalent of the four minute mile. Um, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, it is, um, you know, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's obviously, it's a little weird that it's not a, um, you know, uh, like a true race and a true record, but, um, you know, it's still a running performance and it's still something that, you know, is going to, um, inspire a lot of people. So I, I think it was, just, it was really cool to see. Um, I didn't wake up for it. Um, I got the big race next weekend, so sleep's more important to me, but when I did wake up, um, you know, my uh, Twitter and Instagram feed were just full of uh, highlights and, and everything. And, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. And um, I think now that this has been done, um, you know, the, the the door is kind of open for that first um, legitimate sub two. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it, it's, you know, it's a big step um, to, to seeing that happen. Yeah. So it shows it can be done, which I, I think we all suspected maybe – um, it had to be proven, though, and uh, but it, it's re- that's really an astonishing pace. And obviously, Kipchoge is is for now in a class by himself, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I mean, other than Bekele running within two seconds of his world record in Berlin a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, like yeah, Kipchoge does seem to be ahead of everyone else. And um, although now with Bekele's run, he's I think he's probably just a little bit ahead of, ahead of everyone. Well, a little bit ahead of Kelly, and then the, those two guys have a pretty good gap on uh, the rest of the marathoners in the world. Yeah. But what what can you say about what it takes to go that fast? Because uh, that's, uh, you know, to, to run 42.2 kilometers in less than two hours, you're, you're running at obviously over 21 kilometers an hour. That's, uh, you're running uh, faster than three minutes per kilometer 
42 times in a row. It's uh, unfathomable for most runners. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is. Uh, I think, you know, was, I think he went through um, 10 games up to like 28-20, which, um, you know, is a time that I've done for 10K, um, but I've never even run that pace for 20K. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to think of doing, you know, 2820, uh, which seems really fast to me right now, um, four times in a row is, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. All right, great stuff, Reed. Thank you very much for joining us. Great, thanks for having me. That's Canadian Olympian Reed Coolset. I hope you can join us next week on iRun Radio. We'll have some more of our favorite interviews from 2019. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas. 